This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanesi Vidal. My guest today is Yi Chun Chen, who is an assistant professor of economics at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today, we're going to talk about her paper, Team-Specific Human Capital and Team Performance Evidence from Doctors, which was published in the American Economic Review in 2021. Ichun, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we study the evidence from doctors, that is the specific application to healthcare that the paper actually examines empirically, Could you tell us at a general level what team-specific human capital is? So uh, my idea of the paper is that when team members have worked together in the past, they may learn how to uh, better work with each other. There could be skills, uh, knowledge accumulated in the past. They know how to better work with each other. And skills and knowledge may not be able to be transferred to other team members. So this is what I'm thinking about for the team-specific human capital. So in terms of like learning or knowledge, this obviously makes a lot of sense, right? Like if we write a paper together, I may get to learn what you mean when you say something or how to communicate better. But something that you mentioned at a couple of points in the paper is that we may also develop or accumulate some certain level of mutual trust. Is this something that you also include as part of that capital? Because that will definitely be capital, relational capital, if you want. You know, it will be human capital only at a broader level. But this is something that you take into account here. Yes, I think certainly, yes. Trust is also part of the uh, team-specific human capital. And actually, I heard this uh, pretty often when I talk with doctors about how their past experience working together might uh, help their teamwork currently. The trust is also one of the very uh, significant channels they told me. For example, if they know each other better, they feel they trust each other's words more. So they want to do repeated tests to test each other's words. So this is actually one way to save the medical resource use. Good. Let's talk then about these doctors. I have to say that the idea that there may be such a thing as like team-specific human capital. You know, I am not surprised by the fact that something like this exists, at least for some teams. What I found more surprising is that this seems to be the case for the doctors in your sample. Can you describe what are the specific teams of doctors that you study in this paper are? Yes. In this paper, I study two medical procedures. The first one is called PCI. The second one is called uh, CABG, uh, which we often just call it cabbage. I choose two medical procedures mainly for my identification purpose because I like to identify the causal effect of shared work experience. And these two medical procedures provide a nice setting in which patients can be quasi-randomly assigned to doctor teams with different levels of uh, shared work experience. And also another uh, factor I need to consider here is the matching. If, for example, doctors who are better matched to each other tend to work together more often and a better match also contribute to better patient outcomes, then matching could be a source of confounding factor. And that then I choose these two medical procedures, PCI and the cabbage, they can help me circumvent these two issues and help me identify the causal effect of doctors' shared work expense. Typically, for patients undergoing PCI or cabbage, they will stay in the hospital for a couple of days. And during that hospital stay, there will be a procedural list 
who performs the procedure on the patient. These proceduralists, they are usually surgeons for cabbage and interventional cardiologists for PCI. And also during that hospital stay, there will be physicians who provide hospital care to the patient during that hospital stay. So I study how shared work expense between the proceduralists who perform the procedure and the physicians who provide hospital care to the patient during that hospital stay might affect patient more outcomes. And there's a collaboration between proceduralists who performs the procedure and physicians who provide hospital care to the patient. For example, since the physicians, they provide daily care to the patient, they know better about patient disease progress compared to the proceduralist. And the physician's communication to the proceduralist about the patient condition and the disease progress could be an important input to the proceduralist decision on, for example, what's the optimal procedure strategy and what may be the opt- optimal procedure timing. So the proceduralist tasks could require inputs from physicians. And on the other hand, physicians' tasks could also require input on proceduralists. For example, if there's complication occurred to the patient after the procedure, the physicians can ask proceduralist for consultation or additional treatments. And this, in, this interdependency in tasks between proceduralists and the physicians could make their past experience working together important for their current teamwork. I want to talk about how this all works in a second, but let me add one thought that I had while you were talking, which you said that at some point at the beginning, I chose these doctors because they allow me to get causal experimental variation, to estimate the causal effects, or this or that. One thing that having read some papers on healthcare in the last few months made me realize is that something very convenient about studying procedures to treat heart attacks is that a lot of people die. That means that you can have a left-hand side variable that is important. Mortality is obviously important and also has variation, right? So I will add that this, from my perspective, seems like a good reason to study this type of doctors. You know, the fact that you have an important left-hand side variable. You have described now also like the the two types of doctors, proceduralist, essentially you were saying we can think of them as, as the surgeons, although not everything is a surgery there. Uh, and also the physicians who are in charge of like inpatient care. But could you tell us a a little bit more about how the process works? If you want, in management, we teach our students about the value chain of a product. What is the value chain of this type of procedures? Like imagine, for instance, that I have a heart attack, an ambulance picks me up, I arrive to the hospital, like, when do I see a physician? What does the physician do? Is it the physician that is on duty? Am I going to be scheduled an operation that afternoon or two days later? Is there a proceduralist on duty to do the operation? After the surgery, I go to a hospital bed. Is it the same physician that I had before the operation or is it a different one? How do these people talk with each other? Like, if, if they are in different parts of the hospital, you know, they may be like a virtual team, but are they an actual team in the sense of like communicating face to face and so on? So usually the typical process would be say a patient have a heart, has a heart attack or maybe has a chest pain and then they may go to the emergency department. 
And then the emergency department physician take a look at this patient and found this patient may have a very severe heart attack or a condition close to heart attack and need operation procedures like PCI or cabbage. And this emergency uh, medicine doctors, they would admit this patient to the hospital. And then it's from the start of the hospital, I started looking at the shared work expense between the proceduralist who performs the procedure and the physicians provide hospital care to the patient. So the physician in charge of the pre-operation care, that's not the physician in the emergency department, that's the physician in the hospital itself. Right. There are two separate sets of physicians. So I am sent to a bed in the hospital and there is a doctor there that passes through my bed and then takes additional information or whatever, right? That's that's a physician. Basically what you said, yeah. So the, in the hospital, there will be physicians. So the patients stay in the inpatient and then there'll be physicians come to visit the uh, patient, for example, every day and check on the patient disease progress. You were talking there about the mechanisms mm-hmm. through which having worked together for longer in the past may imply that these two types of doctors are more productive, better able to save lives, if you want. I am wondering how this happens. Like the physician, for instance, in charge of the pre-operation care is going to take some notes. And then these notes are going to be read by the proceduralist, right? And say if the proceduralist is better able to decipher the handwriting of the physician, that's going to be better, right? Or understand what the physician means, that's going to be better. Or the proceduralist is not going to do additional tests because the proceduralist trusts the physician. These are the type of things that you have in mind, correct? Right. So I think one thing could be just like you said, maybe the proceduralist would be better at reading the physician's notes. And the things, most of the things I believe they will be recorded in the medical records. So probably not much about handwriting because things are in the computers. But maybe uh, the proceduralist will be better, will be better at capturing information from the notes the physician write. And another thing is that not everything can be recorded in medical notes. So it could be that something not, it's not like everything will be recorded in the medical notes and there could be something not recorded there. The proceduralist may be better at capturing that if they know the physicians better or if they have experience working together in the past. So this could be one thing related to uh, either skill or knowledge about how to better communicate with each, each other or how to better work with each other and another thing I think, uh, yeah, we just talked about, it could be trust. Maybe I just believe what this physician told me. I wouldn't order extra tests to uh, test whether the physician, what the physician told me is true or not. So something that is going to be important, at least for part of the paper, is that if I have a heart attack and I go to the emergency room and end up in the hospital, whoever happens to be on duty at that point in time, both from the physician side and from the procedure side, will be the doctor or the team of doctors that treat me, correct? So that's going to be important in that, you know, they are matched with each other or they are matched with the patient according to these rotation patterns, the schedules that are fixed in advance. I was wondering what happens if the physician has taken some notes, the procedure doesn't understand them or has additional questions or whatever, 
and the physician has already gone home. Can the procedurist call her home and say, what do you mean here? So I think this one anecdotal story I heard from one doctor is that he told me that if they know each other better, they can just call each other's cell phone and talk there. It's not like in a hospital setting, you have to wait uh, while they are on duty in the hospital and call their office phone. So this, uh, this is a quite qualitative evidence that it's quite an interesting story just tell us about um, it's much easier for them to communicate. So that will be part of the team-specific human capital, knowing each other's phone number. It, it could be, right. I so, mean, p- potentially. Not, not that you're going to isolate that specific mechanism, but in principle, that could be part of. Right. So, yeah, it's more like if I only have a very formal work relationship, or maybe I only, I only started working with this procedural list, maybe I, as a physician, I have to call his office. And if their physician says in the operation room, uh, maybe just uh, not at, uh, at work, then I won't be able to talk with this procedural list. But otherwise, it would be very easy for me just, for example, we just call this person's cell phone number and talk there. Or maybe just informally stop by the office if he's at the office. We have been talking here as if there was one proceduralist and one physician. So clearly there's going to be one doctor that performs the surgery. That's, you know, that that's obvious. But after the patient goes back uh, to the hospital ward for the like post-operation care, typically the previous physician will have already finished her duty. And then it will be a different physician, right? Like what we are talking here about a single physician and a single surgeon is actually a surgeon with probably more than one physician. Uh, right. So in my setting, there could be, uh, so the, usually there's only one procedural list who leads the procedure. There may be some assistant proceduralists, but they are not the main role in the procedure. So I look at the procedural list who leads the procedure and the physicians who care for the patient in the hospital stay, both for and after the procedure. Uh, there's some randomness there. It's not always uh, the same physician who care for the patient before and after the procedure, but it could also be the same physician who provide care to the patient before and after the procedure. It will, um, it to a very large extent depend on the physician's work schedules. For example, if I am a physician and I work from Monday to Friday every day, and this patient uh, stay at the hospital from Monday to Wednesday, then I will uh, I will really likely to just take care of this patient throughout his whole uh, hospital stay. But if they only work on Monday and then the Tuesday, there will be another physician who care for the patient. So if there is more, this is probably not, not I know that this is not the, the focus of your study, but presumably if there is more than one physician, then that's going to be more of a challenge in dealing with a patient because now the communication that is necessary is not between physician and proceduralist, but also across different physicians. They need to understand each other and so on. I know that this is not part of your study, but that's an additional challenge here. Right. Actually, that's a very, very good point. So here we see that actually there are different team members there. It could be that uh, there's teamwork between proceduralist and physicians, but also there's uh, this work between different physicians. And we can look in this paper, I look at the shared work expense between proceduralists and physicians. And in this case, actually, they are more of the complements here. They are performing different parts of the work, but there's interdependency in their work. 
And also we can look at uh, shared workspace between physicians themselves. And uh, in that case, actually they are more of uh, substitutes. And also I think that will be very interesting to study the shared workspace between different physicians. And perhaps I think uh, another question, um, perhaps another question implied here, maybe whether it's whether the shared workspace between physicians uh, might be a factor that might affect my estimates here. Um, actually, and then I think in the actually I didn't report in a paper, but in my robustness checks, I have I measured the shared workspace between physicians of the team, and then I put that in my regression to see whether my estimates, my main estimates, is changed or not. And very reassuringly, I don't see my main estimates are changed. So that doesn't seem to be a, a primary explanation for my um, effects of shared procedural list and physicians share workspace on patient mortality outcomes. Okay, excellent. Let me, I, I will go back to this large robustness uh, test later on. But can you tell us now what is the data or sets of data that, that you use uh, in this paper? Uh, right, so my data is the 20% Medicare claims data. So in the U.S., there's a public insurance called Medicare, mainly for the elderly population, people who are age uh, who age 65 or above. But also it covers some um, disabled people and people with end stage renal disease. There's a data called 20% Medicare claims data, which are administrative Medicare claims for 20% of uh, Medicare beneficiaries enrolled in the public portion of Medicare. And from that data, I can see the patient characteristics, and also there's some but uh, their death dates and also their uh, health histories. And from the data, I can also track doctors' collaboration histories, how much they have worked together in the past. So this 20% Medicare claims data is my main data. Um, but also I need to see uh, doctors' characteristics. And then I have these two uh, additional data, which are uh, MD pass and physician compare, which I use to track doctors' characteristics, for example, their demographics and medical training information, like uh, which year they graduate and what medical schools they went to. So 20% of Medicare. So given that the U.S. is a very big country and it has a lot of old people and all of them are on Medicare, 20% of that for the eight years that you have your sample. I would expect that you have like hundreds of thousands of observations. I was surprised to see that actually after you do like all your restrictions, and there aren't that many actual procedures. It's maybe like 80,000 at the very maximum. And I was wondering what is the restriction that starting from the 20% of the elderly population of the U.S. for eight years, you know, brought down the data by, by such big numbers? I think that's a great question. Why the number of observations in my in my paper doesn't seem to be very large? One point that will be very hopeful here is that although there's quite large Medicare beneficiaries, not in terms of number in the U.S. and also PCI and cabbage are common procedures among Medicare beneficiaries, but the total number of PCI and cabbage actually are not as huge as we think. And also there are a couple of points that will be helpful here. One thing is that um, here the data covered uh, beneficiaries who enroll in the public portion of Medicare, which is the traditional Medicare. 
there are about 30% of the Medicare beneficiaries that actually enroll in the private portion of Medicare, which is called Medicare Advantage. And for those patients, I don't see them in my data. Also, a second point that because of my identification, I need to restrict the sample to patients who are admitted to the hospital through the emergency department. And for cabbage, actually many cabbage, uh, they are scheduled procedures. And actually for only about 20% of those cabbage, they are admitted to the hospital through the emergency department in my data. And also for the PCR, only about 70% of them are admitted to the hospital through the emergency department. A third point is that uh, you mentioned I have eight years of data, but because I need to have a two-year look-back window to measure doctors' shared work spends in the past two years. So for patients, in the first two years of my data, I cannot include them in the final analysis sample, but only use the first two years of data to measure doctors' shared work spends in the past two years. And then there's a couple of minor points about um, Vaxima because I need to include doctor fixed facts. There may be some uh, doctors who I only see, um, say only a very, uh, it's a 20% Medicare claims data, although it's already a quite large sample, but there could still be some doctors they don't perform procedures very often on this uh, uh, Medicare beneficiaries, then they, they are dropped when I include the doctor fixed effects. Okay, so how do you construct the variable shared work experience, the main independent variable in the paper? We know that the dependent variable is going to be mortality, but the, so that's kind of unambiguous. But how do you construct the shared world experience? Uh, yes, so um, for, doc, for physicians who provide hospital care to the patient, their care is uh, recorded as hospital visits. So I measure shared work expense between a proceduralist and a physician as the number of hospital visits the physician has provided to the proceduralist patients in the past two years. In other words, in the prior 730 days. For example, the physician provided three hospital visits to the proceduralist patients in uh, in a 730 days before day T, then shared work expense between the proceduralist and the physician can be measured as uh, it will be counted as three on day T. Imagine that the proceduralist dealt with something else, like uh, appendicitis, and the physician did some hospital visits for patients of a specific proceduralist, but the procedure was not PCI or CABS, but instead something, probably not appendicitis because that's quite different, but something that is not quite the procedure that we are studying here. Do you count that also as shared work experience? Uh, so I think for the physicians, they may care uh, for both cardiology patients and also appendicitis patients. But from the procedural list perspective, they are actually quite specialized. For example, for the uh, cabbage, they are, say, uh, cardiac surgeons, they mainly do these heart surgeries. Uh, for the PCI, the proceduralist, they are interventional cardiologists, and they mainly do this PCI. So I measure shared work expense as the number of hospital visits the physician has provided to the proceduralist patients for the same procedure, for example, for PCI. So, and you don't, you don't have a proceduralist that sometimes does PCI and other times does cabbage, correct? They do either one or the other. Cabbage doctors, the cabbage proceduralists, they are surgeons. They don't do, they generally don't do PCI. 
And for PCI uh, procedures, they are interventional called cardiologists. They cannot do cabbage. But there may be other uh, surgeries, but other procedures with PCI, these interventional cardiologists, they may do on patients with heart uh, issues. And also there may be other surgeries, the, uh, the cardiac surgeons, they may do on patients with heart problems. I was asking this because if you, you know, potentially there are two types of shared work experience. One of them is on the specific task or problem or procedure that we are dealing with right now. And another is slightly broader. And it could be that it is only the very narrow one that matters, or maybe the the broader one also matters. You know, at at the beginning, I gave you the example of deciphering your handwriting, right? I I mean, obviously, this is not a very relevant example here, but just for the purposes. I am not going to be more likely to decipher your handwriting for this specific procedure than in general. But if I am learning about what type of style of intervention you want, what type of drug you use, presumably that knowledge is not just specific to the team, but specific to the team and the very narrow procedure. Right, yes. So here I'm measuring shared work experience as the experience working together with the specific team member on the specific procedure, right? Exactly like what you said. And uh, there could be a little bit more general sense just the shared work expense we have together, no matter what procedures uh, we have done together. It could be something close to cabbage and also something close to PCI. Yes, that, um, I'm not sure I've done that, but I think that's definitely is something I can also, I think we can also expand that to see whether uh, this specific experience would have the specific experience on this specific procedure would be more important than a general uh, related or related procedures or not. And the other thing to say is that the shared work experience is then weighted by the different physicians that were part, if you want, of the physician sub-team. Because we mentioned earlier that there may be more than one physician. So if we have that one of the physicians has had like, you know, 10 previous visits with the proceduralist and the other one has had zero, then the average is going to be five. So five is the shared work experience among the physicians on the physician side. Yeah, so I here I used the weighted average. So I count the share of uh, hospital visits contributed by each physician and use that as a weight to estimate the average of the shared work expense, which in the procedural list and each of the physicians uh, provide care to the patient. So this average uh, allow me to account for each physician's care to the patient and also weight them to account for the differential share of care provided by each uh, physician. But also, I think people could also interesting on different alternative ways to measure share expense. So I also try to say uh, the median and the mode. Okay, what are the main empirical strategies? I know that you use two of them. Can we start with the first empirical strategy that you use to study the effect of uh, shared work experience on patient mortality? So my first empirical strategy is using patients admitted to the hospital through the emergency department. And then I compare outcomes uh, of patients within procedural lists. So there are two institutional features that are worth noting here. We already talked some about it before. So one is that admissions to the hospital through the emergency department 
for PCI and cabbage patients, they are typically unanticipated. For example, whether and when a heart attack might occur to the patient is often, are often unanticipated. A second institutional feature is that physicians' work schedules, they are often predetermined. For example, who are going to work today has already been set many weeks ago. Also, those on-duty physicians, they take turns, they typically take turns in taking new patients. And then these two institutional features, unanticipated patient admission and predetermined physician work schedules could restrict the policy of the possibility of patients selecting or being selected by physicians. So we can think there's quasi-random assignments of patients to doctors, teams with different levels of shared work expense, conditional on a procedural list being hold fixed. I really like the way that in the paper, you categorize the potential problems that could arise with this strategy or, you know, or, or, or other types of strategies. So the first one is what you call independence. And this is essentially the potential non-random match between the patient and the team, okay? So uh, it could be that for some reason, there are some teams of doctors that get patients that are harder or easier to treat. Hmm? So here, obviously, the, the fact that the patients are having these procedures because they have just had a heart attack and they are showing up in the emergency room, that's kind of really helpful, right? So uh, one can think of, you know, potential remaining concerns, but they will be like really contrived, you know, that that uh, in creating this like non-random matching. The second possibility that you mentioned, you call it exclusion. And this is the idea that even if teams are randomly matched to patients, the doctors may not be randomly matched uh, to each other in the formation of the teams. Okay, so like for instance, imagine that we're in a hospital and I don't know, we are really like each other in that we have a good rapport working with each other. Then we de- we may decide to have uh, shifts that overlap with each other. Okay, and there we may also accommodate a lot of experience, but we are more effective because we were already, you know, working very well together rather than the result of shared experience. So this is the one that is maybe slightly less clear where they looking at the emergency room perhaps helps you the least relative to the other. But here, what you are relying on essentially is the fact that these shifts that the doctors follow are somewhat idiosyncratic. Like the rotation patterns imply that some days I work with somebody, some days I work with somebody else. Yeah, I definitely agree with your point here. Whether there may be some potential matching between proceduralists and physicians, say, if we just feel we are very well matched uh, team members, maybe we just tend to schedule a lot of shifts to work together. And this better match between us could also contribute to better patient outcomes. And this is the point I take uh, seriously in the paper to empirically test uh, whether this is possible in my setting or not. And also I talked with doctors about whether this is very likely or not. So uh, first, uh, from what I heard from the doctors are that in addition to seeing patients, actually doctors, they also have other duties, especially for uh, hospitals that are able to do PCI or care 
Cambridge, they are usually relatively larger hospitals, and doctors may not only have the clinical duties of seeing patients, they also have more other duties, for example, teaching, uh, maybe being in the hospital's administrative committees, uh, maybe they also have some employment at universities and have research duties. So they have to arrange schedules to fit different uh, roles. This would make it hard for doctors to schedule shifts to work together. Also, empirically speaking, I also use several tests to see whether uh, this is possible in my setting or not. So one thing is that I use a team fixed effects model. So I, the idea here is that the, I assume the quality of match to be constant within a team and then how patient outcomes change within the team could tell us the effect of a shared work experience without that due to match quality. And I thought estimates are actually very similar to my baseline estimates. Yeah, just to be clear, you have then, you said you are going to use only the patients that come from the uh, emergency department. So your regression is a regression, like essentially a sample of patients, and then do they die or do they not die? You are going to control for the proceduralist fixed effects, and then like a, a battery of controls, patient characteristics, characteristics of the physician, time of day and day of week, and so on and so forth. And the identification assumption is that controlling for all these things, the specific shared experience between procedurists and team of physicians is orthogonal to everything else. And here is where you're saying, well... If I control in addition for the team fixed effects, the team fixed effects are obviously constant within the team. That's why they are called fixed, right? I can still identify the effect of the shared work experience as the same team accumulates more or less experience. So if I control for the team fixed effect, the estimates do not change. So yeah, you raise a very good point. I should be clear that I have condition uh, baseline controls in my setting, like the procedural list fixed facts and hospital time category fixed effects. This would capture potential difference across procedural lists and also across hospital and time categories. For example, patients admitted to a New York hospital could be different from a patient admitted to say a California hospital. Or uh, maybe patients admitted in 2010 could be different from patients admitted in 2020. So these are my baseline controls. Yeah, I should be more clear in that. Then uh, my first matching test here is try to see that if I use the team fixed effects, so this was seen that the quality of match is constant, is a constant component within a team, but uh, shared work expense will change over time within a team. And then how patient outcomes change within team could tell us the effect of shared work expense without that due to the constant quality match. If you and I decided to have the same shift together because we get along very well, then it shouldn't be the case that after we have worked together for a long time, we're better than ourselves at the beginning of our mutual collaboration. That is controlling for the fixed effect of our team. The shared work experience doesn't matter, but you're saying that it matters. Maybe this is a good point to tell us what are the baseline results. So maybe just briefly mention about the matching also in the paper. I also tried three other ways to test the matching. And for in total, there are four different tests of matching. And actually, there's uh, very little evidence suggesting matching is likely in my setting. And then for the results, I found that about uh, a one standard deviation increase in shared work expense between the proceduralist and physicians could reduce patient 30-day mortality by about 10 to 14%. 
here a standard deviation is about a difference between the median and the 90th percentile of the sample. This is with respect to the first identification strategy or empirical strategy that uses this emergency department patients. You have a second strategy that is, you know, perhaps slightly, slightly weaker, but has the benefit of having many more patients. What is that second strategy? So in my second identification is a two-way fixed effects model. In the first identification, it resembles an ideal experiment because there's quasi-random assignment of patients to doctor teams of different levels of shared expense. But it only focuses on ED patients. Perhaps, perhaps we may also be interested in non-ED patients. And also uh, in the first sample, because all patients are admitted through the ED, they are relative, relatively homogeneous. And also the sample size is relatively small. This makes it, it, it a little bit hard to study heterogeneous effects by, say, patient characteristics or other team-level characteristics. That's why I introduced a second uh, identification strategy, which is a two-way fixed effects model. I control for uh, proceduralist fixed effects and also fixed effects for the main physician who treats the patient. And these two doctor fixed effects could help us uh, mitigate concern on potential patient selection and also potential variation across doctors that might affect patient outcomes. So it's essentially the same as the first strategy, but with a bigger sample and an additional control, which is now the physician fixed effect as opposed to physician characteristics. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you find essentially the same with this second strategy as you find with the first one. Yeah, so the results actually look very similar. In the first empirical strategy, I found out about one standard deviation increase in shear expense, reduce patient 30-day mortality by 10% for PCI and 14% for cabbage. And in second identification strategy, I found this very similar magnitude effect of shared work expense. So 10 and 14% don't sound like incredibly different numbers. And one thing that I was wondering was that, so PCI and cabbage, these are, these are procedures with different levels of difficulty because, you know, cabbage is like a surgery, you know, much riskier, open heart or whatever. So shouldn't one expect that the effect for cabbage is much larger because the potential for things to go wrong and the need for communication about you know, like difficult to codify things seem much higher for cabbage and therefore the value of thin-specific human capital seems much higher for cabbage. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a super good point. I think a cross procedure would make this comparison a bit hard because in one way, like you said, because cabbage is more complicated, perhaps the returns to share expense should be larger. And we could expect the returns to share expense to be larger for cabbage. But on the other hand, I think uh, because cabbage is actually more complicated, so the amount of, uh, so how much doctors can learn from one unit of experience actually might be smaller than the case when they are doing simpler procedures. So in this other case, I think it would be hard to say that which way, whether cabbage would see the returns to be larger for cabbage or maybe to be smaller for cabbage or not. But if you look at within procedure, 
I do see that uh, for example, just reading cabbage or reading PCI, I do see that for more patients with more complicated cases, for example, they are older, maybe then they will be less healthy or if they have more comorbidities and uh, this would make their case to be more complicated. And if I just look at the reading procedure heterogeneity, I do see that for um, more complicated cases, returns to share of expense appear to be larger. So within procedure, there seems to be some support for the notion that it is those tasks or those problems or those issues that are more complicated for which the team-specific human capital has the highest value. Is there any other like heterogeneity uh, type of study that you do that you think is interesting? Uh, I think another interesting heterogeneity pattern I found is that um, I found the sheer expense is larger when doctors are from different practices. So doctor procedurals and physicians, they may belong to different practices. And uh, for doctors from different practices, maybe uh, sheer expense could be matured, uh, could matter more to them because there are fewer uh, informal interactions. And also they may have fewer uh, guidelines for how they may work together. And I found that for um, doctors from different practices, sheer expense matured more compared to the case if they are from the same uh, practice. Another interesting pattern I found is that uh, I found this individual work experience are what we may call general human capital. They can substitute for team-specific human capital created by shared work expense. When doctors have higher level of uh, individual work expense, shared work expense would matter less to them. But the extent of the substitution is actually very small. For example, for um, to eliminate the effect of shared work expense, a proceduralist individual work experience has to be about four standard deviations higher than that of an average proceduralist. So this actually also suggests to us team-specific human capital could be something that cannot be easily substituted for. So this is the human capital, the general human capital of the proceduralist. Uh, that the proceduralist accumulates over time within your sample. One additional or, or related heterogeneity that you could do could be with just the fixed effect of the proceduralist. That is, it could be that there are some proceduralists that are in the 90% percentile of excellence. And for them, it doesn't really matter who they are dealing with. Whereas it is for the bad proceduralists that it really matters whether they are comfortable with the physician or the other way around, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there should there is variation in proceduralist quality. Some may be very good, some may be less good. And then could also the share of expense may matter differentially to doctors of different quality. It might matter more to lower quality doctors because they are lower quality, so they need more team-specific human capital. Or it might matter more for higher quality doctors, but about the higher quality proceduralists, they, they, may, they may have developed a very specific style. So the physicians need to work a lot with them to then their specific style and build up the team-specific human capital. Yeah, so that's something I didn't do in the paper, mainly because of the data I don't have. Uh, so this I don't have a very large number of cases for each proceduralist. So this would make the proceduralist fixed facts relatively noisy. Yeah, yeah. I have enough sample that would be super cool idea to try. You also do some analysis on what you call the mechanisms through which shared experience may be affecting mortality. Specifically, you call some analysis the improved productivity versus increased 
output analysis. What is that? What do you do there? Right. So after seeing that doctor's shared work experience improves patient survival, I then ask what are the mechanisms behind this effect? So in one way, I think we can think that when doctors gain experience working together, this might shared work experience might improve their productivity so that they can achieve higher patient survival, even with the same level of inputs. But on the other hand, if doctors increase their care intensity when they know each other better, then we may also see better patient survival outcomes. So there are several quite cool research found that for patients with emergency conditions, higher uh, care intensity could improve their outcomes. Uh, that it will be interesting to see uh, which of these two mechanisms uh, is more important, whether improved productivity or increased inputs. They have very different welfare implications. For increased productivity, there could be welfare gains because we can achieve better patient survival with the same or even lower medical inputs. So there could be welfare improvements there. But for the increased inputs, the welfare implications would be less clear because the extra medical inputs could be and then I try to disentangle to see which of these two mechanisms is more important by looking at how patient medical resource use changes with doctors' shared work expense. And I found that when doctors gain uh, experience working together, not only patient survival outcomes improve, but also patient medical resource use declines. So this suggests to us that the improved productivity mechanism is more important. So you call these like mechanisms and I agree that that's one way to think about it. So one comparison that I would want to make here is with the like the trade-off between quantity and quality in any study that has performance on the left-hand side. Imagine, for instance, that we introduce performance pay in an organization, and then we find that workers become more productive in terms of quantity because we are rewarding them for producing more. Then one question that arises is, well, is this at the expense of the quality of their production? Okay, maybe maybe we're selling more, but customer service is terrible, you know? So there is a trade-off there. This is kind of what you are doing here. Like mortality has improved, but maybe it's at the expense of worsening of other dimensions of what these doctors do, such as the length of stay or number of tests. These are expensive things, obviously, so we want the doctors to do as little of them as possible, conditional on the same patient mortality outcomes. So a caveat that you have here is that you do not observe every other dimension of input. This is the same caveat that the studies that I was referring to earlier have in that they do not observe every dimension of quality. However, one thing that is very encouraging in your setting is that these other dimensions, the inputs, not only do not worsen, but in fact improve, right? So you will have to think that there is some type of unobserved input that is moving in exactly the opposite direction as the inputs that you can measure are, are moving. You know, so it will seem here that the fact that, you know, these doctors are able to achieve, statistically speaking, the best of both worlds is really encouraging. Yeah, so here I found this that when doctors have higher share of expense, patient survival improves, but also their medical resource use declines. This actually suggests to, to me that um, doctors are actually 
now are operating on improved production function when they have higher shareholder expense. It's not like it's just like they are working on the same production function, but just increased inputs. I have these measures of medical results used, like length of stay and number of tests the patient have during the hospital stay, and whether they have outlier payments. And these are the observable medical results used I can see in the data. So what are then the policy implications from this paper? I presume that policy implications are something along the lines of you should keep the, the teams unchanged for as long as possible because that way they will accumulate a lot of experience with each other. There could be a trade-off there. So in one way, if we directly interpret these findings, we found that when doctors gain experience working together, they could perform better, have higher productivity, achieve better patient survival with even lower medical inputs. So this could suggest us if we hold everything else constant, we should increase doctors' shared work expense. But the trade-off here is that the quality of match may also uh, matter for team productivity. So in, the, my, in my setting, um, I'm just saying that there's conditional quality of match, share work expense could improve doctors' productivity. But there could also be a possibility that the quality of match matters very importantly. So in that way, we actually should encourage doctors to often switch teams to find better matched co-workers. So this, I think, will be, the, will be a part that very important to think this potential trade-off between productivity returns to shared work expense and productivity returns to higher quality of match. One other thing that I will add where there is a trade-off is that if you start optimizing the work schedules of these people in order to create a better match or better shared work experience or something, you are closing the door to future econometricians to be able to test these things properly. <laughs> so that will be great for Medicare, terrible for our profession in the future. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, excellent, Ichun. We will leave it here. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discuss. Introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso. Episode produced by Anderson Tan. 